Hey, everybody, Cam Mayno and Mr. Paul Lucas up on the left side for you. How you doing, Paul? I'm doing great. It's, it's good to see you, buddy. And this is Rug Wash Pros. Yes, the home of Rug Rescue, the new podcast that everybody's talking about. More and more views every day. Again, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. It's very important to us. The more people are watching, as long as they keep coming back to see a little bit more and learn a little something, well, guess what? We get to stick around. So I'll apologize up front in this podcast. I'm babysitting three dogs today. They're a little whiny and jumping around, but I think we'll be okay to get this one done. And I want to get this one done because I don't know a lot about it yet. This is one that Paul got a call on. And it's kind of unique. It's a neat one because it's something that people don't really hear about all the time. Because normally we're talking rugs. Well, this is just a little bit different. Paul, tell us a little bit about it. Well, unfortunately, I was in the hospital and I got this phone call. So I took it uh, because I had nothing else to do except for get try to get better. So um, one of my customers is a carpet manufacturer and they focus on aircraft carpet and their typical customer buys a relatively large plane and they have it custom uh, designed the interior. And so this company makes a uh, carpet for that. Well, so they're ready to put this brand new um, wool carpet. It's, it's hand tufted, high quality. And when they receive it to install it, it has three big watermarks and they go right down the center and they're all three of them are shaped like a long triangle and uh, so the installation people were telling me that it looks like watermarks and so I thought I said to him well you know sometimes when you put uh, fans or air movers on a, a rug when it gets wet and you try to force dry it sometimes you'll get watermarks right in front of the fan it seems kind of counterintuitive you would think well, let's go dry fast there so you're not going to get watermarks but it tends to bring material up right where the airflow is and it gets to be uneven so sometimes you'll get like a a watermark type pattern in front of the air movement but it could have been something else but uh, uh, being 100% wool being brand new nobody's really ever walked on it except for maybe a carpet inspector uh, at the mill I suggested uh, nothing stronger than 3% hydrogen peroxide. And I suggested that he put it on heavy because these are really high dense, density carpets. Put it on heavy right where the watermark is and then take some kind of spray device or a trigger sprayer and then feather into the center where it's less of a watermark and then feather out to the edges of the carpet because the carpet is relatively narrow. Uh, he gave me the dimensions, but I didn't write it down, but it was something like nine feet or eight feet or, you know, 10 feet by like 60 feet. You know, so we're so talking a pretty good size area then. Oh, oh yeah. This is a big plane. Now, now, let me ask you a couple of questions as we're going through this, because I think this, I think there might be some interesting thoughts in people's heads, not only about the spot, but the fact that we're kind of talking about a plane right now. And you mentioned it's wool carpet. Isn't that because, and I, I don't know a lot about this stuff, but isn't it because wool's not going to go up in flames and it's so much safer for the aircraft? Yes, actually, it's an FAA regulation. And then also in many of your hotels, uh, high-rise hotels, uh, local ordinance, for example, New York City, you are required to have wool carpet uh, so that if there's a fire in the building, 
that the carpeting doesn't lend to building the fire. And wool is self-extinguishing. So you guys that are doing uh, burn tests for fiber ID know that wool goes out. So uh, wool is your common uh, carpet fiber in all aircraft. I think you have to unmute there, uh, Cam. I know you're getting older. Yeah, I, you know, with the dogs here, I'm trying to be extra cautious. I, I apologize for the dead air time here for a second. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up that you mentioned, you were the way you were talking about feathering it in and, and bringing, you know, you were talking about the application side of putting that peroxide down. Explain, why are, you, why are you being careful with the way you apply it? Well, people tend to underuse hydrogen peroxide because they, they want to just hit the tips and kind of missed it, it on. That seems to be a common mistake. Uh, what you do, what you want to do is wet out the area that has discoloration and, and so that you have enough product. The other common mistake that people make, I'm sorry uh, to point this out, is they use too strong of hydrogen peroxide. So you always hear people saying, well, I use 12%, I use 6%. And then you get people out there that are using 35% or 18%. I mean, I'm talking people that it's relatively common. And the mistake is it's too strong, especially on natural fibers. So if you have a polypropylene rug and you want to use 12%, that's probably fine, or polyester even, uh, that's gonna work. But on wool, no, that's too strong. And even on nylon, 12% will take the color out of nylon carpet sometimes. Depends on how well it's dyed. Uh, if it's solution dyed, you can use stronger. But on natural fibers and these high priced, I mean, these, these carpets that go in the airplanes, they're extremely expensive. And you don't want to take out. So I explained to the fellow, I won't give his name, uh, that called. I said to him, look, at applying 3% three or four times is better for the carpet than applying it 6% once. So just take your time. And of course, these guys at this level, this higher level of service with customers who really want it done right, they don't mind paying. So you're better off taking more time and charging more to do it correctly. And the other thing that I hear once in a while, and again, you know, I'm not trying to point at one particular com uh, company or person, is a lot of times people advocate accelerating uh, the hydrogen peroxide, heating it, adding ammonia, adding uh, strong ultra ultraviolet lights. And these are all, they all work but they work too good. So again, if you're doing polypropylene, acrylic, you know, you can get away with these things that accelerate it. But typically what we wanna use is sunlight for natural fibers. And that's typically all you need. And this rug being uninstalled, he could probably take it outside if, if the weather's good and, and expose it to some sunlight. And if you are going to use ultraviolet light, then you, you only need UVA. You don't have to go to these high-powered ultraviolet lights. You want what light sunlight puts out, which is UVA, uh, you know, a little bit longer wavelength than UVB and UVC. 
and, and you'll get where you want to be. It works. Three uh, percent works. You just sometimes you have to do it two or three times, uh, but don't go crazy. Don't don't add a bunch of ammonia. I hear people say 50 50 ammonia. That's way too much ammonia. I hear people heating it. And, you know, if you want to warm it up a little bit so it's 100, 115 degrees, you know, that's OK. You can set the bottle in some warm water. But, you know, don't go crazy. Let the hydrogen peroxide do its job because it does a great job. Hydrogen peroxide does not leave a residue. Uh, you don't have to rinse it. It decomposes into oxygen and humidity. So it's a wonderful product to work with. And if it works, that would be great. So once you said to go with the peroxide, that's kind of where your mind went. You were thinking, I kind of tend to go to the same thing. Is there a reason why maybe you didn't look at going with, uh, um, I'm guessing you didn't go with something like rug sour because it's wool. It's not like it's a piece of cotton or something like that. So the chances of cellulosic browning drop down quite a bit, right? Well, again, when you use acid on browning, cellulosic browning, uh, the problem with that is you're not really getting rid of anything. The lignin that's in the cellulose is what gives that color. That, that's why wood is brown. That's why cardboard is brown. Uh, that's why you, know, you have that color. Now, the lower the pH the lignin is, then the lighter in color it is, the lower the pH. The higher the pH, the darker the color. So one of the tricks that we use in our industry, which is a good trick, I'm not saying it's bad, uh, is to get that pH below the pH of three. And it, once we get below three, that lignin gets to be so light that you generally don't notice it. Ah. But the problem is it's still there. I've so, never heard you explain it like that. I, I, all these years we've been teaching together. I mean, I, that you explaining that the way you just did makes so much more sense to me than, uh, well, than what I had in my mind. I, I've been explaining it that way, but you're finally paying attention to that. So, well, I, I really you finally, appreciate it. You finally taught me how to listen, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not saying use an acid is wrong, but what you're asking for is that the possibility of that stain coming back because it's still there. It's just, you don't see it. Right. And so now if we could use hydrogen peroxide, we're actually chemically breaking down that color and got so it. we're removing it and so you know you got this high-end client i mean anybody has a private aircraft and i mean they're not, they're not gonna put 120 seats in it they're gonna put a living room an office a bar you know it's gonna have a few seats it's going to be like somebody's living room or, or right. office and so uh it's gonna be nice and open you don't want those watermarks coming back because then they're gonna be unhappy and they're paying you to, to be happy so let's just do it right. Now, the other thing I talked about with him is I'm making an assumption that it's a watermark because he called me and said, I have these watermarks. They're shaped like big, long, elongated triangles. And there's three of them right down the middle of the rug. So that's where my mind went. But then I said to him, you know, I've worked with this company for years and we've had other issues with brand new carpet. So while you treat the first one with hydrogen peroxide, I want you to go to the other one, another one and do some testing to see if it's not something else. Now, one of the times, uh, in fact, we had several carpets all at once 
they had a bad run where they had latex migrating up into the pile on brand new carpeting. So it could be a latex transfer. Now that's got to be dealt with with solvents. And so I talked to him about doing a small area about uh, nickel or dime sized with some solvent and then see if it takes the, the coloring away, see if it improves the hand and, you know, just test it to see if it's latex because we've had that problem uh, in the past. Another time we had rust. Sometimes in a big factory, you got a lot of mechanical equipment. There's a lot of maintenance going on. And sometimes we get rust from the equipment on the rug. And again, you know, they're not a cleaning company. They're a manufacturing company. So I told them to take a little dime size area and test for rust with rust remover and see if that makes it better. Right. Sometimes it's soil and, and it just something got dirty. Uh, maybe the, um, the skeins of wool got dirty. Uh, maybe the backing got dirty. Uh, it's a factory environment and it just got made into the rug brand new, but you know, somehow soil. Sometimes when they're doing maintenance on the equipment, they oil things. Sometimes you get oil drips and for some reason it could form a pattern. Now, usually those are long elongated and they're just a stripe going the length of the rug, but you know, it could be, and it's easy to test. Again, just a little first and foremost, or your favorite, you know, spotter and solvent-based spotter. And, you know, you'll know in that little quarter size, dime size area. And then the other thing, it could be dot. Now, this company has really mastered their dye room. They're really good at it. But in the early days, many years ago, uh, they had some color issues. They were, they were, working through uh, their techniques of dyeing. And we had some uh, dye migration issues years and years ago. But, you know, it could be uh, for whatever reason. You know, somebody spilled something, it got on the equipment. Uh, so I said, you know, what are you doing? Because the 3% hydrogen prostate go take some time to dry. It's going to take 20 minutes or so, maybe 30 minutes, maybe 15. And so while he's testing that, with, with confidence, because again, hydroperoxide doesn't leave a residue, doesn't get us into trouble. He's using a mild strength. So, you know, he can kind of go for that, but then do these other areas. And uh, that way, you know, he doesn't, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So if you don't test, then you still don't know. So I was just trying to encourage him to do that because again, I get these phone calls, you get these phone calls and people say, well, I have this problem. Well, uh, is that really the problem? Sometimes it's not. That happens a lot, Paul, where we get that call. And just like you said, they'll say, I've got this issue and it's ink. And it turns out it's not. Or they'll say they got this and it's not. You know, it, it happens quite a bit. And that's where sometimes it makes that phone call kind of long and drawn out because we have to ask so many questions. And sometimes people aren't really thinking about, you know, those particular things. But we are because we deal with this on a daily basis. I mean, we're getting calls all the time. And so we're going, wait, I've kind of seen something like this before. I'm going to ask a few more questions and make sure it's not that, you know, and we just start kind of figuring all that out. Now, I do have a question for you. Um, when we go through a list of testing, we go with like 
for I just want to give some people some examples. Um, first and foremost is one. LST is one I use a lot of times when I'm testing things. Um, also a vol or, or a non-volatile solvent because first and foremost is volatile. So then we have a non-volatile solvent that I'll normally try. Um, I, I like to normally have a rust remover available. Uh, I might have rug sour. And then I have my lines of reduction. I might have problem reducing rug shampoo and dye stripper. And then I have, of course, the oxidation, hydrogen peroxide, 3%. Now, I know there might be another one or two in there, but I, I just want to take those for example for everybody that's listening. The question to you is, when we're testing, obviously, we know first and foremost is probably the first one or LST is. That's why you name it first and foremost. But is there any of those that can all of a sudden fight each other? Like you've tried it, you've got to rinse it out and start from scratch, or you've got to let it dry and get it all out of there then you can hit the reset button and try something else. Or can you kind of make your way through almost all of these until you get to the oxidation and reduction? Well, there, there is a logical order uh, when, when testing for an unknown. If we know, we can go right to what we know. So if we have really strong indications that it's rust, we can go right to rust remover. You know, that, I mean, that just makes sense. Or if we know it's a dye bleed issue, then we can go to redox reactions immediately because we know it's a dye issue. Mm -hmm. But if you don't know, you've got that mysterious stain, then you start with first and foremost. And that's going to be your dry cleaning solvent, chlorinated base, so very strong KB value. And you start with that first because no residue, no pH dries rapidly and gets out of the way but most important it tells you something it gives you information well how, how can chemical tell you something well if you put it on the spot and you don't need to take a long time just seconds you know three four seconds you put on a clean white uh, terry towel or some other absorbent and you blot that stain if you get no results then that's telling you it's not solvent side. It's a water-based stain. If you put it on, give it a couple seconds, maybe tiny bit of agitation, and then blot with your towel, and you get transferred, even though the stain's still there sometimes. Sometimes the stain disappears. But sometimes you still have the stain there, but you have transferred to your towel. Then that's telling you that it's a solvent-soluble stain. And now you know which way to go. And that is with solvents. No transfer at all. It doesn't phase it at all. Now you know that it's a water-based stain. And so you gather information. And then you could go right to your next um, testing because, you know, in a minute or so, that spot is dry. Unless you pour the whole can on, which you don't want to do. You just want to do a little tiny area with, with just enough to get test results. You don't want to put a huge amount down. So in a minute, it's gone. And then the next logical thing, if you have no idea what the stain is, most soils are on the acid side of the pH scale. So if we go water-based, then we usually use an alkaline-based spotter. So whatever your favorite alkaline spotter is, whether it be a traffic lane cleaner, it could be ammonia. We like ammonia because ammonia is self-neutralizing. 
So you don't have uh, a residue of alkalinity. So uh, a lot of times your spotting kit will have protein spotter. And often that has an ammonia smell. And that's where the alkalinity is coming to. But, you know, whatever your product of choice is, and then go ahead and and uh, uh, test that. Because that if it's water-based, that's often what's going to do it. Then, of course, you can go to your neutral uh, pH spotter and uh, test that. So either one of those can be your second one. Uh, but, you know, test to see if that will work. I, I probably misspoke myself. I would start with neutral because least amount of damage uh odds of working are low but sometimes it works and then go to alkaline that doesn't work then we go for the unusual stain which would be an alkaline stain so we use acid so your your rug sour or your acid spotter uh would be what to try next if those so now you've covered the bases for water-based you know neutral alkaline acid so then the next logical step is to try an enzyme product. Now, these are slow. So if you put an enzyme product like, like Woolzyme, um, if you put that on, you're going to have to give it 20 minutes, 30 minutes to know if it's really going to work because it's a slow process. So we kind of put that at the end. Uh, but if, if it's digestible, in other words, the, the organisms in the spotter can break it down or the enzymes that are already present in the spotter can break it down. Uh, then that might remove it. Uh, those tend to be organic stains. You might not think of it as food, but if an organism or a creature can eat it, that, then sometimes that enzyme, bacterial enzyme-based product will work. That doesn't work. We go to rust remover because you know rust remover is one of those things. If it's rust, it takes it out. If it's not rust, it doesn't take it out. And then if none of those things work, then we got to go for chemical change. And rust remover is kind of really in the chemical change area. But what we're going to go to is our redox reactions. And again, uh, that's what we started with on this one, because hydrogen peroxide is an oxidizer. Uh, so we tend to use that. Um, in really rare occasions, we'll use chlorine bleach. But you get, there's, that's, a, that's a whole subject on its own, because that can easily damage uh, textiles and dyes and other things, the fiber itself even. Um, and then we can also use reduction. Now in natural fibers, reduction is safer. It's less aggressive. So we tend to uh, wanna go with that. And in my spotting kit, I would just use a, a little bit of uh, problem reducing rug shampoo mixed up with water in a small little bottle. And that's usually enough to test uh, to know if that's the right direction. Because with testing, we're not always looking for perfection. We're looking for, is it working? And then we can go down that path. Same thing with the solvent. We, we, when we use uh, first and foremost, or a, a, a volatile solvent, sometimes we'll get results, but the stain's still there. Then we would go to a non-volatile solvent, which instead of being dry in a minute or two, will stay for an hour or two. And then that way we can break down some of the more stubborn solvents. Of course, we always would rinse that out with our volatile solvent because those things tend to leave a sticky residue. And then we might have some specialty uh, spotters like maybe a gum remover or a paint remover or 
you know, an ink remover uh, that we have in our kit. But, you know, we those solvents, we either work that group to see because they tend to be specific. So if you have a specific solvent, then you need that same solvent to, to match up and remove it. Whereas water-based seems to be more general. It's either going to be released by acidity, released by alkalinity, released by digestion or chemical change. So there's great. a logic of it. Absolutely great info, uh, Paul. So this makes up for another great podcast. I appreciate you elaborating on that and because I think it's some really good information that will help people think about what they're doing when they're going through testing. Hey, everybody, I want to say thanks again for you visiting with us to watch another podcast, the Rug Rescue Podcast. We're so proud of this and we're having fun with it. Check out Rug Wash Pros. That's the home of Rug Rescue. We've got a lot of information there. We've got the education coming up. There's a Rug ID class at the end of March. We've got hands-on in May. And we've got a bunch more stuff that we're working on. And there'll be more podcasts coming. So again, Cam Mayville, Paul Lucas, Rug Rescue, thanks for being here. We'll see you next time, guys. And remember, keep it clean. Thanks, everybody.